Hello, Ivan, Jody, Christopher, Ron. There's Mike. Well, we just want to say we appreciate you being there. Hi, Glenda. Uh, just want to say a quick hi to a lot of people that's on here regularly. Uh, Connie Owen and Marsha and Marianne and Jarvis and Jody and Glenda and Sandra and Carol and Butch and Kay and Norma and Mary and Carita, Linda, Ron, Rita, Don, Judy and Don and many, many others. We appreciate you being here today. Uh, due to the social distancing, it's just me and my wife and my puppy Emma with us today. And she's glad that we're letting her stay in here, but we're glad to know you guys are all out there. We uh, feel your presence and your uh, love and we love you and we pray everything's going well. My wife is saying hi to you from behind the camera. She doesn't like to get in front of cameras, but we are glad you're here. Marsha, I'm glad you didn't fall in the lake and get eaten by an alligator yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if I'd fish for their alligators, but Marsha was doing that yesterday. So, hi, Deborah. So we're gonna start. Uh, I, I wanna remind you what I, I believe I said this last week, but talking about the word testament, uh, the only place the word testament is used is in the uh, the New Testament is, you know, is what we call it, New Testament. And then there's an Old Covenant, but it talks about the covenants. But when you, I, look, I felt the need to look up the word testament uh, a week ago, and it means disposition or outlook. So when we talk about testaments, we could literally say what the disposition and outlook was of man before Jesus came and taught the truth. And then in what we call the New Testament, we could call it the new or the eternal disposition and outlook for people. Uh, this morning, I looked up the word disposition, and it says it's a person's inerrant quality of mind and character. And so that reminded me of the word Damion, which is, uh, you know, they translated that to be devil, but it actually says it's a supernatural spirit with a bad character. And that was the condition of man when they digressed in their understanding of who they were, and they began to live out of a mistaken identity. And so that was the condition when Jesus came to to Jerusalem to teach and the surrounding areas, men were in that type of shape, mankind was. Their, their character had digressed way far from who they really were. And so Jesus brought them back to their right mind. And that's what Father is doing today. Through uh, Comforter Messengers, through the voice of Spirit inside of each and every one of you, Father is bringing us back and has always sought to do that, to bring us back to our right mind, to live out of what we call the, the mind of Christ or the God mind or whatever. So I'm continuing our study on our, our third volume of No Penal Substitution. Hope you're enjoying it. I, I appreciate all the comments that are left on the, the video. But Jesus said, I came to reveal the heart and the love of the Father. And to me, that was the primary purpose of his coming is to really show us God's eternal love for mankind and then rupture the law by doing that because the law did not reveal God's love. It revealed a God that was a, a God that needed appeasement. So if what he said disagrees with some of the stories that we read in the old, then we must realize there, again, there's some mythology that has skewed the writer's perception, and it still does today. I've heard a lot of sermons taught and lessons taught, and even in classes and seminaries taught that would make me think that God doesn't really love me or I needed to do something to earn that. So what Jesus revealed of Father's love was the same love that Father poured out on all humanity 
uh, world without beginning, world without end. That's eternity. So of all the years that we've taught and written, as I said last week, we feel like this message that we're teaching is of the utmost importance. We must wake up to who we are. So there, uh, in this chapter of our book, uh, I'm going to continue on, and I'm writing chapter four right now, and actually going into chapter five, and shine more light on the subject of forgiven, forgiven and remission. And we talked about that last week. We used a lot of scriptures. I'm going to continue on some more scriptures with this and maybe wrap this up today. I'm not sure. But when you read Hebrews 9.22, where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, some people quote that verse, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, because they've always thought remission means forgiveness, but remission means freedom. And so Hebrews 9.22, it says, and virtually with blood, all things are made clean, and the most important phrase is according to the law, not according to God, not according to people that know truth, but according to the law with blood. But I say without shedding the blood, there is no deliverance or there is no liberty. And the reason we say that is what we talked about, what the shedding of blood did. The blood was Jesus rupturing the law, the rupturing the need for, for blood to satisfy God. And I'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit more in a minute. But forgive and uh, for, uh, remission are interchangeable words. And the reason we know that is they have two different Greek, uh, Greek meanings. Uh, and blood cannot have anything to do with forgiveness. Because if you had to have blood forgiveness for forgiveness, then that's penal substitution. And that's saying God requires something. So Jesus' blood did not forgive us. Father never needed forgiveness. Father was never angry with us. Father decreed us from himself and... Uh, uh, as himself, and he did it himself from before time in his mind, and then he literally, I said last week, I think everything that we have today was is, was projected out by our Father, and he projected us as eternally forgiven and holy. So when you see the word blood and forgiveness in the same verse, you can know that whoever transcribed that, whoever translated that, whoever said that believed in penal substitution and wanted to enforce that idea. So remission again is liberty and it's freedom. So blood was a revelation of our eternal liberty. It was the revelation of our freedom. It freed us from the do to be laws and the uh, mistaken identity that came from all that by Jesus shedding his blood. He was willing to do that to stop the sacrificial system. And we talked about several weeks ago about how blood carries life to our, in our entire body. It's a revelation of life. So I want to show you several other verses of Scripture that use the wrong words again. In Colossians 1.14, in the King James Version, it says, in whom we have redemption, and then it said, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. But they added the word, the phrase, through his blood. It's not in the original. It just says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, or the freedom of sins. And the freedom of sins is the freedom from our mistaken identity. And the word sins is the symptoms of a mistaken identity. So the Greek rendering would say, being one with our Father Creator, we hold and we possess the riddance of that which hinders us, which is the freedom of missing the mark, the mistaken identity. And that really explains it much better. So we have freedom from the disease, 
but not just from the disease. We have freedom from the symptoms of the disease. Where there is no disease, we've said this many times, there is no symptoms or there are no symptoms. But when people teach the law, then soon the symptoms, uh, excuse me, when people stop teaching the law and quit trying to force the law on people, the symptoms will disappear. Because we showed you last week where the preaching the law is the force or the driving force of missing a mark. So, <clears throat> Ephesians 1.7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, and then it said the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 7 should have ended with the riddance and the liberation and the freedom from the mistaken identity, not just sins, but literally the freedom from the mistaken identity. Because again, when I see and when you see and you understand the revelation of what Jesus revealed, the revelation of shedding his blood, the revelation of, of him raising himself from the grave, then that really will bring you to the place where you're free from the lie that you're separate from God or anything else religiosity has said about you. And then in Colossians 2.13, it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, again, this is the King James Version, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So what Paul was really saying there is having already forgiven you your, your trespasses. You were born forgiven. And we talk about how we were forgiven everything that pertains to life and godliness, but literally we were born in a state that God would never look at us and say, they're sinners, they're missing a mark, whatever people judge people with. God never ceases that way. God sees us as eternally holy and eternally righteous. Just like if I was, I'm born into the Richmond family, so I'm born Richmond and I will always be Richmond and nobody can take that away from me. So if I was born of God, then I'm 100% the way God is. And there's nothing for God to ever have to forgive in the sense that we use the word forgive. So we have to see all men living in a forgiven state. If we live in that state, then there's never a need for us to have to ask Father to forgive us for anything in a sense that we've offended him. Every person is full of Father's glory. So in the quickening and the resurrection of Jesus, we are already, we're already forgiven. So the quickening resurrection, resurrection wasn't something bringing us back to life. It was Father's, it was a revelation or a revealing that Father's forgiveness that he always had towards us. And there's nothing we could do that he would hold anything against us. One of the meanings uh, of the Greek word charis, uh, it's actually charis, but it's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S, was it was translated forgiveness but actually, it's favor. God gave us his favor. And the true word of favor is somebody can look at my son and say, he favors you. In other words, God gave us his image. So uh, what they're saying when they say your child favors you, they're saying he looks just like his father or he looks just like his mother or whatever. Another root word is C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O, -O, and it means endued with special honor and highly favored. So we don't just look like God. We're the exact image of Father God in a body. So now uh, we can now know we were born highly favored, the image of Father, and we were for given all we thought we needed to ask or earn from the foundation of the world, everything we have need of. So there's nothing I can do 
to make God love me more or like me more or to be happy with me. I don't have to go around and say, I don't think God likes me. I don't think God's happy with me because these things aren't happening. That's impossible. He can't be that way. And then the next verse would be Ephesians 4.32. Hi, Sharon. Daryl, good to see you here. Uh, Ephesians 4.32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So a more accurate translation that I did on this yesterday is cause to be now toward one another, useful, well-compassionate, and graciousness yourself, just as Father is, as the holy breath of Father was breathed upon you. In other words, treat people the way God would treat people. Treat people right. That's the most important thing to do is treat people right. Uh, Kay said that when she was teaching this, treat people right, and it reminded me of a song that we uh, sang when I had a, was in a quartet called Three Gentiles and a Jew, and it was called Treat People Right, He's Gonna Smile on You. The title of the song was He's Gonna Smile on You. But God, all God wants us to do is treat people right. In the Old Testament, he said, you sacrifice to me, you tithe to me, doing that is an offense to me. All I want you to do is love one another and love me. And that's pretty much, that's all God wants from you. People say, can you tell me what God wants me to do? Love people. That's it. Just yeah. love people. Yeah. And then do what you want. Just like I say, meditate on the word day and night, do what you want. Well, if you just love people, then you won't go astray. You won't find yourself not treating people right because people that you really love, and this is the way it's supposed to be, you don't want to hurt them. And sometimes we do, but we need to let love be our, our guiding force in everything we do, everything we say. And I'm preaching to myself too. Hi, Bob and Judy. So we used many Old Testament scriptures in our books and these volumes of the book here of how Father never wanted a bloody sacrifice all Father wanted for people was to treat people right, to love people and to love Father. So when our nature shines, our holy breath will be seen by all creation. The Bible says that all creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons. And all, all it takes is for us to love. I mean, when people are walking around in love, you can see it. You can sense it. With this coronavirus going on, there's a lot of things going on today, and people are really letting their love shine. There's doctors and nurses that are coming back from retirement and they're putting their life at risk, but they love people and they want to help people. I read an article today about a, a nurse that was supposed to be in Italy this week on vacation, but she went back into do, active duty as a nurse and asking us to pray for her that her immune system be strong. But she said, I can't help do this because I love people and I can't stand people, see people suffer. And so that's our true character. So contrary to what we were taught in the, in the old stories of the Bible, uh, we were taught that Solomon Gomorrah was destroyed by God, but literally they destroyed it themselves. They didn't destroy it because, God did not destroy it because of homosexuality, but the people destroyed their own lives because they didn't love one another, they used one another, right? And just like in this earth today, we see a lot of stuff going on and the reason is, is because people don't love people, they're using people. The political system, much of it uses people and we're seeing what we're getting out of it. If they love the people that voted for them and love everybody, whether they were uh, their party or not, there would be a huge difference in the way our country's run. 
and it needs to be based upon love. And that's what mm -hmm. Father wants for us. Yeah. So Father did not destroy them. They destroyed themselves. Father gave man dominion. Father, and that means mastership over themselves and the earth. And we have the ability to bring catastrophes or we have the ability to bring blessings in people's lives. And it takes somebody living out of love to bless people. If you don't love people, then you bring catastrophes in their life and you bring them in your life too. So anytime you abuse your body, anytime you abuse people, anytime you abuse the planet, whatever it is, there, there will be great consequences. And we've seen those consequences. We create, literally, we create our own world. But like Kay says, and I believe this, we don't create anything that God didn't create already. Literally, if God is my health, then I have to cooperate with that health. I can create that health that's in me. I can create, I can pull it out or I can pull it down, whatever I need to do, and I can live out of that. Or I can, I can rob myself from that, but abuse. I can abuse it and abuse myself and then I don't cooperate with what Father did. So what we want to do is create what was created from the foundation and then reduplicate or be replicators of that. I want health to be replicating through me and I want health to flow out of my mouth to other people and my breath, if you would, to other people. So we can do that by birthing our children and then teaching them truth. We can also uh, do that uh, by heeding to the Apostle Paul's exhortations in Ephesians uh, 4.32, by treating people right, treating people who they are, treating people as son of God. If, if you went and you met somebody, you say you were uh, invited to a big business party and you met uh, the CEO of a huge company, you know, whether it be Wendy's, which I know the retired one, you know, or you met the president of the United States which, and, and you were a respectful person, wouldn't you treat that person right? Wouldn't you feel honored to meet them? But how about somebody that's not a CEO? How about somebody that's just off the street that nobody really knows and he walks up and says, hi, my name is Bob. How are you going to treat that person? You, you, if you're living out of your true mind, if you're living out of the right side of your brain, if you're living out of love, then you treat everybody the same and you treat them with love. So everybody, everybody on planet Earth are sons of the Most High. And I always say no gender implied but where the Bible uses the word son as a noun. And then in Ephesians 5.1, I like this. I translated it yesterday. It says, become accordingly replicators of father as son, beloved. That's what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus. Because of all these things I've been teaching you, now according to what I said, you become replicators of father as son. So the correct word is used in Colossians 1.14 and Ephesians 4.32, where it talks about forgiveness. There's no mention of blood whatsoever, and there should be no mention of blood whatsoever because there's no appeasement needed from God. The only thing that God needs is for us to love one another. All right. So what was important to see in several of the parables, and I think Kay taught the parables at one time, but all the parables were not necessary, like for the example, the prodigal son. It was not about the prodigal, it was about the father. Because the prodigal had a sin conscious. The prodigal didn't believe that he was well off. The prodigal wanted all of his money now, always wanting something, always wanting something. And finally he wanted it all. And then he read away, went, uh, ran away. And with, with his uh, bad character, he wasted it all. He came to his right mind 
and he came back and he wanted to confess all of his quote sins and the father said, yeah, 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 that's okay. Somebody go get the coat, get the ring, kill the fatted calf because the father represents our father and our father doesn't, rep uh, doesn't even realize all those mark missings whatsoever. So every, just love. just love. So every parable in the Bible is more about father than the characters that are in the story. So we can awaken ourselves to that knowledge and then we can, make, we can awaken many sons by showing them who they are in relationship to Father. Somebody told me the other day, I forget who it was. Oh, it was on Facebook. But they told me how they got to go to somebody like I talk about and let them know that they're righteous and holy and they always were and God always loved them. And they said the person just started weeping right in front of them because they never heard that message before. And that's why I say the foreign language that the Apostle Paul talks about is not just talking in tongues. More than, more importantly, it's speaking the message of love because very few people in this world have ever heard of the real love of God. It was like Kathy Sims always says, they heard God loves you, but, and that's not love whatsoever. So even Jesus' stripes revealed to us that Father is the health of our body. Uh, everything that happened to Jesus in his passion work reveals who Father always was to us. And, it, you know, and we know that it, it came to stop the sacrificial system, and that's love. I mean, if you have a people that for 2,000 years or more have been involved in a sacrificial system that's a hindrance to them, and Father sends a messenger to them, Jesus, a comforter messenger, to tell them, this is not me, would that not be love? That's love. And so that's what Jesus was doing, revealing the love of the Father. So what he revealed is much more important to know than what the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers did to him. You can talk about crucified, died, and buried. And I did it from 1996 to about 2005 and did ignorantly before that. I didn't know much about it. But I'm telling you what, if, if Jesus were to step in a body in front of us and all we talked about is, is his suffering to him and say, I'm so sorry that you, know, you had to have those nails put in you. I'm so sorry you had to go to the cross. And we get in detail and we get people crying about it and all that. I think Jesus would say, yes, 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 but are you aware yet that, of, of what I meant, of what I, what, what I revealed to you? Are you aware of what all those things pictured to you? Because that's what he was trying to do. That's why he had to go away, because they couldn't understand those things. And if he stayed, they would have just kept coming to Jesus for miracles, for bread, or whatever else. So he would say, are you still not able to understand what I came to teach? And I think the truth is most people would have to say no because they haven't had the kind of teachers that can really teach them the revelation of what happened at the cross, the revelation of what happened in the resurrection. And that's important. I just had my little high-pitched sound there. <laughs> it keeps me knowing that I'm young. So let's look at Hebrews 9.22 again. It said, and I just read it a minute ago, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, Without shedding of blood is no remission. So we pointed out earlier in our book here that this verse does not say remission of sins. It just says remission. So the writer is contrasting the law being the sacrificial system with what Jesus revealed in his death and in him resurrecting. So Paul, and I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people don't, but I do. And I believe that he was contrasting the law and what Jesus did, and I, I believe the same thing in Romans, and I've translated a whole book of Romans, he was contrasting the law 
in what Jesus said. And of course, the translators messed all that up. And most people believe the first seven chapters of Romans is the condition of man today. It was actually the condition, he was talking about the condition of, condition of man at the foundation of the world. So in Hebrews 9.15, in the King James, it says, And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. Remember in the beginning of, beginning of this, I said testament means disposition and outlook. So he is the mediator, Jesus. He came to explain a new disposition for us, disposition, excuse me, disposition and an outlook. You know, a lot of my life, I didn't have a good disposition. I didn't have a, a good outlook. I wasn't sure about what life is going to be like. Today, most people's disposition and outlook is terrible. They believe the whole world is going to die. They believe it's the end of the world. You know, we had uh, two earthquakes a week ago. We had those horrible tornadoes come. We got this virus. And that literally is fuel for the fodder of, of conspiracy, religious conspiracies that believes it's the end of the world. But I'm telling you, I have a good outlook. I believe we're going to be okay. Amen. I believe this is going to dissipate. I was reading yesterday where that, that the cell or whatever it's called of that virus is covered with fat and over 80 degrees that melts it down and it destroys and it goes away. And I believe they're coming up with some medicines to help people that have contracted that already. But I believe it's going to cease and desist. I really believe that. And I'm speaking for that to happen. But we, we can have a good outlook because Jesus was the mediator, mediator of that. Meter, I can't even say it. I'm so shook up. <laughs> mediator. <laughs> Thank you. Mediator. Uh, and it said that by means of death, in other words, his death was a revelation. It wasn't just something that was done to him. It was a revelation for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first old disposition and outlook. They which are called might receive a promise of eternal inheritance. Now that doesn't mean we, we don't have it. It just means we need to receive it. If, if something's given to me, I need to receive it. Last week, somebody graciously sent me $100 on a cash app. Well, I couldn't get that until I went in there and I received it and it got put in my checking account. Another person sent us a nice check last week and it was a blessing if it just laid on my desk and laid on my desk and I talked about how, look at this check, isn't it nice? Donna's going to probably say, well, when are you going to receive it? Well, how I receive it is I put it in my checking account and I use it. And that's why the disciples came to people after Jesus' resurrection, after people heard the uh, message of love and they, they joined the community of believers and they said, they, they said, have you received of your Holy Spirit since you believed? They didn't say, have you received the gift of Holy Spirit. They said, have you received of your spirit since you believe? And they didn't know there was such a thing. And so they began to teach them how they were spirit and how they had the mind of God and how they could draw from that. And so we want to be able to do that. So the redemption of the transgression is not talking about sins as in the symptom. Redemption again means the riddance, R-I-D-D-A-N-C-E. And transgression is the Greek word par- Parabino, uh, para meaning to overstep, to go beyond the boundaries and go contrary. Well, what did that? The law. The law went way beyond the boundaries of what God revealed to Moses. The law overstepped and, and it, go, it, went, it, it became contrary to the truth. It became anti-Holy Spirit, our life, if you would. So the writer is saying Jesus came to redeem 
uh, are to expose the great lie that we were forgiven by blood. And I remember many times in my life I would plead the blood, wouldn't you, Donna? We, we pled the blood thousands of times because we thought it was the blood. And, you know, we were told that if we stood before somebody and they judged us or if we stood before the angel with a book, you know, I could plead the blood. I accepted Jesus. I plead the blood. I don't care what you write in there. I plead the blood. Well, blood had nothing to do with me forgiven whatsoever. Hmm. And so Jesus came to rupture the law and the law that they used to murder Jesus was in John 19, 7, we have a law, and by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And I'm telling you today, if you tell people you're son of God, there are people that will say blasphemy. There are people that don't want you to know that you're son of God because they want to control you. So their judgment was he must be crucified. And of course, that's the manner in which the Romans killed people at that time. Therefore, that very law was ruptured by Jesus exposing the lie. He exposed a lie. So Paul learned what he, drew, he wrote directly from the voice of her father. And in Hebrews 9.22, again, he's contrasting the Mosaic law of sin and death and Jesus, the anointed one, and the shedding of the blood. We have never been under the law of sin and death, except for because we falsely yielded ourselves to that. And we believe that. We believe that was true. And we believe anything that we did wrong, then we deserve the punishment for that. And that's why people go to their deathbed terrified because they get consciously aware of what the church calls sins. And they think because of that, they deserve punishment. And they're just not sure if they're going to be with God. Don and I have a really good friend several years ago. He grew up in a very, very religious law church. And no matter what was said to him, he was scared to death to see God to the point that he committed suicide. I don't know what he thought that was going to do, but he was so tormented that he took his life. And I would talk to him. I passed him for a while. No matter what I said, I could not convince him that he wasn't a sinner because that took a, a weaved and interpenetrated his conscious awareness so deep that he just wouldn't let it be cleansed. But thank God when that happened, he was instantly in the presence of God and he knew that he believed the, the great lie. And the truth was he already was the presence of God. So we thought the law was from Father, right? Yeah, you know, we thought that uh, Moses went up there and God gave him all that information, everything. And as I've said before, the Ten Commandments goes back hundreds, if not thousands of years before Moses. It's always in some, been some kind of uh, uh, mythological or paganistic system. Because if you're going to have a religion, you have to have laws. If you're going to control the people, you have to have laws. And then you just add more and more and more to them. So, <clears throat> Jesus. Have you ever heard where they say that Jesus fulfilled the law? We heard it, didn't we, Donna? Now, I'm sure you guys have. That's, li that's listening right now. But he did not fulfill the Mosaic law in any way whatsoever. Father was never uh, for the laws. Father was never for shedding blood. So when Jesus went through the suffering that was exacted upon him to the point of shedding of blood, it was effectively saying no to the law. It was stopping the sacrificial system. He replaced the law by going to the cross and saying, no, that was never of our father. In Matthew 5, 17, at the end of this verse, they insinuated that Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. 
when he came to end or discharge or bring an end to that, what the, uh, the law. The translators had many choices of Greek words to use uh, for fulfill, and they chose the wrong one when they put it in that verse in 517. Uh, they, they wanted, if you would, to keep the law alive. I know ministers that want to keep the law alive. I know ministers that are, have listened to the finished work teaching. I know ministers that are listening to what we, people call the grace message or whatever, but they still want to preach the law because they think they have to control people by the law. I have one minister once said, if you don't preach the law, how are you going to stop people from sinning? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Has ever preaching the law stopped people from sinning? You know, they just kind of looked dumbfounded and walked away, but it never did. But, but uh, the law, uh, when they say the law was, Jesus was fulfilling the law, it actually is the Greek word pleuro, and it means to, uh, I mean, the wrong, shoot me, the wrong word that they were using for it was replete and level up or satisfy, but the actual word they were supposed to use was tello, T-E-L-E-O, which means to end, to execute, to conclude, and to discharge. So literally in Matthew 5.17, they put the wrong word in there, in that verse. It's not translated wrong, they put the wrong word there. And think about this, I said this last week. If all the Old Testament prophets and writers had a false perception of God, and wrote like there's a penal substitution, like God told him to go kill people and all that. And we know that's impossible because Father God is nothing but love. Then what do you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Because they're still were under the law. They were still under religion. And so they still wrote from their perception. And they, put, they still thought that the, when they looked at Jesus, they thought that the blood was because of the law. And people don't talk about that, but it's true. So it affected their writings a lot there because that was their perception. Just like today, whatever you grow up in, every minister, whatever Bible school that they go to, whatever seminary school they go to, their perception of God is going to be based on what they were taught. Amen? I was too. Amen, Donna Faye? <laughs> I only have one person here to say amen for me. So, so it was T-E-L-E-O, means to end, to execute, to conclude, and to discharge, and that's what Jesus did. So Jesus did not enter the judgment of the world to cause it to be repleted. That's why I say that was the wrong word. He didn't enter the judgment of the world to cause the, the, the law to get stronger. And religiosity did that. That's what they wrote there. So when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you discover Jesus did away with the law, and the entire chapter is full of symbolisms about the law. It talks about the veil. It talks about ministrations of condemnation. It talks about uh, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. It talks about tables of, of stones. It talks about ministrations of death. It talks about being written and engraven on the stones. It talks about the glory no longer being seen on Moses' face, and he veiled himself, which is a picture of the law being removed. So every bit of that, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, is discussing how the law was done away with and made void. <clears throat> so also, Jesus wasn't saying, I'm a better sacrifice for the law. He didn't come along and just say, well, you know, I'm going to fulfill the law. I'm going, to be the, I'm going to be the best sacrifice there is. He didn't do that. And so 
it's important for us to understand these things. I know I went rather quick today. There wasn't a lot of people here to give feedback or whatever, but it's important for us to understand these things and get this down solid. And, uh, you know, if you have questions, feel free to email them to me at drroyerichmond at cox.net. You know, try to make it short because I'm doing a lot of writing. I don't have a whole lot of time to explain a lot of stuff. You can go back and watch all our videos, but we just, we just have to let people know that any teaching that will cause a person to feel separate from God, any teaching that will cause a person to believe that Jesus's blood is what saved us and Jesus's blood is what uh, caused or satisfied uh, an appeasing God, that's a lie. It's not true. And it wasn't placed there. It was placed there by religiosity. It was placed there by the translators to bring great confusion. It literally says when you look at the 9999 numbers that were added, it says added to by the translators to make better readability. And it really should have said added by the translators to bring great confusion. And it, it has been confusing for a lot of people and it still is. But we're going to do our best to do our part to stop the confusion. Uh, I have downloaded a program uh, that I'm excited about. It's a video conferencing. And if I get enough people that want to do it and will help with it, it's only so much a month and it's going to take, take my time. But I'm thinking about once a week uh, doing a one hour, one and a half hour video that a group of people can be on. If I pay the monthly fee, it would be up to about 100 people that I could get on there. No unlimited I can get on there. And I'm going to be able to put my PC Bible program on there and show people how I translate scriptures. And what I want to do is just have people email me a short question or ask about a certain scripture. I can't tell you that I can do all of them, but the ones I can, I'll be answering for people. I think it'll be a good time to help people to understand how the scripture is translated and where things were twisted around and show you the Greek words and show you how I dig that out and how I go the root words too. So if any of you would be interested in that, uh, make a note on this Facebook and let me know that you're interested. And when the time comes for me to do it, I'll reach out to you and invite you to it. So we love you. Uh, keep the faith. We're going to be okay. I know there are people dying and I don't belittle what's taking place. I also know that there's many, many more have died from the flu and we don't hear anything about that. But this does need to stop and it's going to stop. And, and know that our Father is your life. Our Father is your source. And just be wise in everything that you do. Wash your hands a lot. Wash your hands for at least two and a half minutes and go up to your wrist. And when you pray for people, put your elbow on their forehead. <laughs> That's a joke. So I told my, a friend of mine I was going to pray for him the other day. I stuck my elbow on his forehead. But uh, we're going to make it through. So we love all of you. We appreciate your support. Those that support us financially, we appreciate what you do for us. And we just hope you have a great day. Sharon, it's good to see you there. Hadn't talked to you in a long time. So we love you all. Have a great day. Bye-bye.